This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Check one, check two, check one, check two. Check one, check two, check one, check two. Hey guys, welcome to episode 268 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. Well, Tracy, we are getting ready to go on our little trip to St. Augustine. I know. Very exciting. Yeah, we have a lot going on this week. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because it seems like it takes forever for it to get here. And then it's like, bam, it's on top of us. And then we're scrambling to get stuff done. Yeah, because in fairness, I only had like seven months to prepare. True story. And put it all off to the end, just like when I was in school. <laughs> okay. First of all, we want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thanks to all of you. For everything that you do every day to force and, and and like I know I can speak for Tracy on this. Whenever we're out, like we were actually out at a concert last night, and we were out at a ball game earlier in the day. We always stop and thank every policeman or uh, military personnel or medical personnel that are at these events. We stop and thank every one of them for their service. Yep, we do, and that's what everybody needs to do. And they're very. I mean, it's kind of a sad thing to say, but they're sometimes actually surprised. Like, oh, gosh, thank you. You know, and it should never be that way. No, that should be the norm. They yeah. should they should get so many of them that they don't even think to be surprised. But yeah. They, that's almost always the case. But it always does make them feel good. And we love you guys so much and appreciate all that you all do for us, for sure. Obviously, there's a, a lot going on in the world. There was massive flooding and uh, uh, devastation up in New York from the hurricane. So after it did all the damage in the lower part of the of the panhandle down there with Louisiana and stuff, it turned right around and, and smacked and did a bunch of damage up in New York. So we want to say if anybody's out in that area, that uh, whatever you're dealing with out there, obviously, you've got our thoughts and prayers. Yeah, absolutely. Also, if you're dealing with uh, a bunch of negatives in life, could be anything from medical conditions to jobs to uh, the economy, struggling with bills, whatever the situation is, that's a, a time when depression likes to creep in. And we just want you to know that we're thinking about you. We have an ear and even two ears <laughs> ready for you. If uh, you need to talk to somebody, just please, whatever you do, don't just try to handle stuff on your own if you feel like you're being overwhelmed. That's absolutely the truth. And I actually spoke to someone that are they're going through a bunch of stuff, but they feel like they don't want to bother anybody. And that's why they hold it in. And I was like, oh, my gosh, don't hold it in. You know, we're here for you. Don't ever feel like nobody wants to listen because that's far from the truth. That is the biggest problem is people. And I've said this a thousand times. 
people get inside their own head and they believe the misconceptions that your brain is telling you, like nobody wants to hear it or you're a burden or, or whatever the case is, that is not true. You can almost bet that if your brain's telling you something when you're in a deep state of depression, that it's probably the exact opposite. Yeah. So just know that we are here. Our group is here. Um, if you feel like you want to call the hotline, that number is 1-800-273-8255. You can also text them at 741-741, day or night, anytime. Please reach out. Absolutely. Ninja. <laughs> He's extra loud tonight. Oh, he is. You're going to get us a bad review. Hmm. Anyways, so, Tracy, we have done a few episodes on haunted schools. Some high schools, some colleges. Most of these stories usually revolve around a student's death. And tonight's mm-hmm. story is going to be, well, some of that too. Okay. Now, before we get into the story, I want to tell you we got a special guest tonight. Okay. We've got Josh Chow, and he's from Bad Moon Paranormal, but he's also a tour guide at Waverly Hills Sanatorium. Mm -hmm. So he's got some cool stories from that, but he has a paranormal story that happened to him when he was driving a truck. He was a truck driver over the road, and you've heard this story. I have. Is this story not unbelievable? It's Yeah, it's pretty out there. It's really interesting. You guys are going to like it. So that's going to be following this story. You guys are going to like it. And he's got some Waverly stuff to add and Mm -hmm. a couple of other things. Now, I want to point this out while we're talking about stories. The... We've been been doing some extra uh, Hillbilly Dead Time stories. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so we're doing one regular one at, at the first part of the week. But then the very next episode... I'm wanting to use um, listener stories. So if somebody has a, a really good and a long listener story, write it to us. I'll put some music behind it. I'll kind of structure it so it sounds like a Hillbilly Dead Time story. And it'd be cool. So we'll have one regular one and we'll have one that's a listener story. It won't be every week like that, but I do want to mix some in with it. That would be so fun. Yeah. I'd love so, to hear some good yeah. stories. And we've already had a couple sent to us, so but oh, you can just, awesome. just write it out, email it to us, and and uh, but the very first one it came out yesterday, I think it was, or no, it was uh, this past Thursday. So if you go back and listen to the episode thirty nine of Hillbilly Dead Time Stories, that was actually a listener story, and if you um, like the way that was done, we can do yours like that. Oh wow, sounds awesome, honey. And also, with that being said, next. Thursday, not this coming Thursday, but next Thursday. I'm telling you, two weeks ahead of time, which will be the 16th. Is that right? Sounds anyway. good to me. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the, the 16th, I believe. We're not going to have a Hillbilly Dead Time story that day because we're going to have a special interview with a gentleman by the name of Reagan. And all I can tell you is this is one you definitely want to hear. Reagan has um he's got a lot of video footage of what looked like i don't know some type of alien craft but he has had some experiences that you are not going to believe yeah i've listened to this story actually and it is pretty mind-blowing i've actually held on to this for a couple of weeks And it'd be a couple weeks later because I've, i want to put some of these video footages together that he's sent me mm-hmm. but 
man, um, all, all I'm going to say is it's mind-blowing, and it's a definitely a different take than you've probably ever heard. And it makes you think. Yeah, so that's coming. So when you see that in there, and, and of course, you know, we'll remind people as it gets closer, but I'm telling you, this is something that you guys are going to be very interested in. Yeah, definitely. Least. All right, let's get back to our school stories we've got. So most of these are urban legends. As far as like these stories of a student's death or whatever the case is, suicides, Mm -hmm. usually the case, but some are actually based on facts. Now, tonight's story I picked primarily because Charlie Watts of the Rolling Stones just passed away. So R.I.P. Charlie Watts. And this story has a little connection to the Rolling Stones. No, no kidding. Closer to the end. So I don't know if it's a coincidence or more synchronicity but it seems like i'm always running across these stories right at the most opportune time i swear you do that all the time and i was not purposely looking up anything that had to do with rolling stones i just was i picked up a couple of books and started looking at something and something caught my attention and then as i started you know reading into the story i found a rolling stones connection and i'm like here we go again. <laughs> of all this, I've never, in five years of doing this, I've never ran across a Rolling Stones connection mm-hmm. of a story except for one of the music episodes we did. Yeah. When I, but I purposely looked that up. I know, but it's so bizarre how often that does happen. So anyway, so I just kind of kept researching on this and uh, I thought it was a cool story. So there you go. All right. Apparently, the University of Montana has four different buildings that are haunted. That is a lot. Now, most hauntings tend to take place in more specific areas, like, for example, a certain room or a hallway or an entire building. But apparently the ghosts at the University of Montana at Missoula like to roam the entire campus, especially those four buildings. And we're going to talk about each of the four. The first is the Fine Arts Building. Now, This is a building that definitely has a ton of paranormal activity. The activity here has been going on for years. Mary Morrill, who had some experiences in the mid-1970s, had this to say. Years after graduating, she would still get creeped out and thinks about the things that happened when she was there. She said that she was actually teased by a ghost. Teased? Teased. Okay. Mary said that her and uh, a bunch of others... We're getting ready to leave for a Montana Repertory Theater Tour. They were supposed to meet early in the morning at the Fine Arts Building. So Mary got there before anybody else. She got there about 5 a.m. She hated being alone in that building, but she decided to go in anyway. So she's inside the building. She's anxious. She's hoping that some of her colleagues will actually show up because mm-hmm. she's, you know, she's a little nervous. And she finally hears an outside door open. Then she felt a draft as if somebody came in. So she kind of loudly says, well, I'm glad somebody's here to kind of keep me company. She ran to the door to see who it was, but the door was still locked. <laughs> so she just stood there. She was kind of perplexed. And at that point, she heard another opening and closing of a door and then felt another draft. Now, this door was back where she had originally been sitting when she heard this first door open. So she runs back to that spot, but again, no one was there, and that door was also still locked. And I would have went right back out to my car. (laughs) 
She said this sequence of events happened four or five times. She felt so uncomfortable that she did decide to go wait outside. Mary also said that the faculty members would sometimes bring their children to rehearsals. Mm -hmm. Okay. On several occasions, the children would look down from the balcony area where they were playing, and they would see a mysterious person sitting in the audience. The strange thing here was nobody on stage could see the person, but the children all insisted that there was someone in the seats, and they all had the same description of the person. Well, then that's true. Mary said the strangest thing that happened to her was during a production of Macbeth, which if anybody knows about the theater, they know that Macbeth is known as a kind of a cursed play, a haunted play. There's always something unlucky going on with Macbeth. The night of the dress rehearsal, the entire set, even the staircase that was specifically built, collapsed. The entire set. What? God, not where they were on stage, I hope. <laughs> no, that was, that was, no, it was, I guess it was, before, well, I don't know that, it, but nobody got hurt, so I yeah. don't know if it might, it might have happened when they were on stage. How scary. Because it said during the dress rehearsal. Now, on opening night, during the scene where Duncan and his army came in, the fog machine wouldn't turn off. So the entire auditorium filled with fog, and the audience couldn't see the actors, and the actors kept falling off the stage because they couldn't see where the ends were. Oh, my gosh. That is so weird. Mary said that night that she played one of the three witches. Now, in this particular scene, the witches stood over like boiling cauldrons, Mm -hmm. and they called out names of demons. They could hear these horrible screams coming from the back of the theater. Later... They asked others about the screams, but apparently no one else heard the screams other than the three that were playing the witches. Man, that I think I'd be ditching that play. <laughs> out of my, out of here. So nobody's exactly sure who it is that haunts the building, but the thought is that it's a worker that was killed during the construction of the building. And of course, how many times have we heard that story? Oh yeah, it happens a lot. Whoever it is, many have felt its presence. There was one particular time that the drama department production coordinator by the name of Steve Wing said that he felt an eerie sensation late one night in 1977. His office was up on the second floor and he had just left to go down to the theater. Now you got to know that right outside of his office, there's this narrow hallway with doors on on each end, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So he had to walk through the hallway to be able to go down the steps to the theater. He senses that someone was with him while he was walking the hallway. He said it felt very oppressive. He decided to put his hat and coat on and just left, period, and never even went down to the theater. Yeah, I think it was a good idea. (laughs) Now, the next haunted building we're going to discuss is Brantley Hall. The ghost here is supposed to be a student who committed suicide. Now, this one obviously is the typical urban legend that's hard to prove. In this case, the student was a female who either killed herself in the basement or threw herself out of a window. The strangest version, though, of what could have happened here is that of a former student who stabbed herself with a metal comb after her father lost all of his money in the stock market crash of 1929. I get, I'm guessing it's one of those, like you put your hair up in a bun kind of type of cone. 
Okay, but that... I, I understand. That does not even sound right. No, but that's still one of the stories. Well, I think that's a dumb story. I think it's the first one. That story, uh, that version anyway of that story, also has her German shepherd haunting the building as well. So I don't know if... She, I don't know if why her German Shepherd would be haunting mm-hmm. the building. Maybe she stabbed him with the comb first. I don't know. Well, all I know is everybody must have been some really sharp, spiky teeth in her comb. <laughs> Custodian David Boone had his share of experiences in Brantley Hall. He said that the rumor is that the student who committed suicide lived on the second floor when Brantley Hall was still a dormitory. It was later turned into the administration offices. With all of the remodeling, it's kind of hard to either pinpoint where this suicide would have actually taken yeah. place. Daniel said that he used to be the custodian crew chief, and he got the chills every time he walked down the halls. He got the same feeling on the third floor. There, he would hear a noise similar to someone clapping their hands together. Mm-hmm. It was very loud and seemed to be coming from the ceiling. That's, well, that's a different one. One of the scariest occurrences that Daniel ever had was on a night when the crew had just finished making their rounds up on the third floor. So they got back to the stairwell and there was a yellow slicker raincoat just laying there at the stairwell. They were the only people in the building and it wasn't there a few moments earlier. Wow. Was it raining? I don't know. I just wondered, you know, if that, he just dropped his slicker at the door when he came in, the ghost did or something. <laughs> the know. ghost of the Morton Fisherman or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> Was it the Gordon Fisherman? It's a Gordon Fisherman. <laughs> then the clamping sound had started. Mm-hmm. So, that they, so they walk up, they find this slicker, they're curious what the hell happened, mm-hmm. and then this clapping sound from the ceiling starts. <laughs> they said it became so loud that the crew had to leave the building. <laughs> it's so funny, all the noises and things that they can do for, like, trying to scare people and stuff. Right. I think that clapping from the ceiling's a new one, though. Yeah. So people said they're not really sure how much basis is in the truth of the legend of the student committing suicide, but... It does cause an anxious feeling for several people in the building, whether it's true or not, because now it's ingrained in, in their mind head, of that that's what happened. Yeah. There's actually a story of a Korean student who was part of the drama club, and he was rehearsing a scene from an upcoming play where he was supposed to be, I guess, hanged in the play. Mm. So he was rehearsing this outside uh, Brantley Hall at the time. There was this tree out there, and he was using it. And people fearing that history was going to repeat itself called police. So you can imagine the student's surprise when uh, his rehearsal was interrupted in such a dramatic way by policemen. I don't know where he's in his mind, though. He would think that would be a smart thing to do, even though he's just rehearsing. I guess he probably just wasn't thinking about the fact that, you know, I don't know. I I can see that, too. Yeah. Probably not the smartest move to just go outside (laughs) in front of a bunch of people and pretend to hang yourself. Mm -hmm. The next building is Jeanette Rankin Hall. So it was named after the state of Montana's first female senator. Originally, this building was the school's library, but later it became the law school. 
And today, it's mainly just classrooms. Mm -hmm. Custodian Jack Mondlock regularly heard doors closing when he was the only one in the building. His boss, though, Jeannie Trowmage, she had some much stranger experiences in the summer of 1981. She said that she was there when part of a large uh, cleaning crew on campus where they were kind of discovering stuff mainly in the summertime and getting everything, I guess, ready for the mm-hmm. students to come back. And she was up there with another uh, person that was in charge of the crew. So it was both of them. The two of them would meet every night at Rankin Hall to clean up the top floor and then discuss the next day's work. The top floor had four classrooms. These buildings were lightly used in the summertime, so mm-hmm. you know it was pretty easy to clean, and they yeah. didn't expect to ever run into anybody. On this night, though, they could hear the sound of voices coming through the closed door of the Northeast classroom. It sounded like anywhere from 20 to 25 people carrying on a conversation, but they couldn't distinguish any of the words, which is so oftentimes when you hear these disembodied voices. Just like a lot of mumbling. Yeah, you hear a lot of stuff. I, I've touched a thousand times, it seems like, that in my house, when I was growing up, I could hear voices coming through the duck. I mm-hmm. could make out two women and a female voice. I mean, uh, two males and a female voice, but I could never understand what they were saying. Yeah. But I could recognize different voices. So, same thing. So Jeannie figured it was a class going on, so they just kind of waited outside the classroom for it to be over, not wanting to interrupt. It got later and later, and at about 11.15, they decided, you know what? These people are going to need to go home. We got a job to do. We got to clean this place up. <laughs> or come help. <laughs> right. They go to the door. The door's locked. They use their pass key to get inside. There was not one single person in the classroom. Her and this, this uh, partner of hers had been listening to this for several minutes. That is so weird. So they go in, they, they check the windows to see, well, maybe there's somebody outside and they're talking so loud that it's yeah. coming through the windows. Well, didn't happen. Wouldn't anybody outside. Jeannie was completely baffled, but she found out that others had experienced this exact same thing up on the third floor. A few nights later, she had another experience. She's actually walking away from Rankin Hall. She had a strange urge to turn around and look back towards the building. And sure enough, all the lights on the second floor classrooms were on. So the big question, I was going to say, so the big question, did she go back and turn them off? Yes. Even though she had just turned them off, she turned around, went back up, turned them off again. By the time she got downstairs, the same thing happened. Lights were back on. She said this happened several times over that same summer. One night, she was on the floor. The lights kind of dimmed as if they were, you know, like being controlled by a dimmer switch. Uh, but these lights didn't have dimmer switches. They were mm-hmm. just on off. She said electricians came and they checked it out, but they found no issues at all with the uh, wiring whatsoever. Now, custodian Bob Williams, he said that most of the occurrences happened from August to October in that particular building. His first experience was in 1985. He heard noises downstairs and he went to check it out. As he went down the stairs, the stairwell light went out. He went back upstairs, just a, just a up-down flip switch. Mm-hmm. 
Lights were off. He flips it back on. He starts down the stairs again, and it went off again. So he again went upstairs and turned the light on. So now he makes his way down the steps again, but he's walking backwards with his eye on the switch. <laughs> Ooh, I wouldn't have done that either. <laughs> As he made his way back down the steps, he's watching, and the light went off again, and he saw the switch flip. And he said that there was it wasn't one of those deals where it was really loose or something, where it was just mm-hmm. falling on its own. It had the same resistance as any other light switch. And there was no reason for it to flip down because it took effort to flip it down. So wonder what he did now. Well, I can tell you what he did. He decided after a few more times that he had had enough of it. He went outside to smoke a cigarette. Mm. That's what it said. Bob also experiences in University Hall, which contains the administrative offices. It's also referred to as Main Hall. This building has had more paranormal experiences than any of the buildings on campus. And it's our fourth and last building. Bob said in this building, he and the rest of the crew would often hear the sound of opening and slamming doors throughout the building when they were about to leave for the night. It happened so often that some of the people were afraid to even work there. So they thought it might have been some kind of a prankster or something, so they decided to set a trap. They went through the building, they shut and locked every single door and then they stationed people at each one of the exits to make sure that nobody could get to them. Still, the slamming doors started again. Several guys rushed to check the doors and were startled by what they found. Some of the doors that were locked were now unlocked. Some of the doors were actually wide open, and not one person on the premises could have done this. All the doors slamming happened from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Never before, never after. Party time. Yeah. Something something that I can't do anymore. Apparently. Ooh. Daniel Boone, and that's his real name, (laughs) also heard doors slamming in the building. He explained that the doors were heavy wood, two inches thick, and locked with a deadbolt. And there was no breezes or wind. So even he said even with breezes or wind, it would have took had to take hurricane-type winds to shut these doors because they weighed so much. Wow. Jack uh, Mondlock, we talked about him earlier, he has heard phantom footsteps several times in Main Hall. Jack said that he wasn't scared, but merely surprised. That would soon change, though. <laughs> One night, Jack was cleaning the sinks in the basement men's room. He was about six feet from the door, and he heard someone knock on the door. He opened the door and was shocked to find that nobody was there. you got to realize this building is very old. It's got long, creaky wooden floors all throughout. So you can literally hear everybody moving as they walk anywhere Mm -hmm. in the building. He said he had opened the door so quick that no one could have knocked and gotten away without him seeing them or hearing them. The next night, he propped the door open with a little wooden wedge. Mm -hmm. Problem solved. Nope. He was working on the the far end of the bathroom where he was smacked in the leg with the wedge that had been holding the door open earlier. Wow. He said it's not possible that the weight of the door just kicked it loose when it hit him. He was all the way on the other side of the bathroom. 
That wedge was like, quit playing, man. Right. He felt like something was telling him, there, take that. Mm -hmm. Just as his little smart-ass way of getting back at him. Fellow custodian, Jim Dredger, he laughed when he heard that story, but he soon had his own experience and was no longer laughing. He was downstairs in the ladies' room. It was around 1 a.m. He was filling up the soap dispenser when he heard a knock at the door. So he yelled, come in. I'll be out in a few minutes. There was no answer. Then came another knock. He walked to the door, opened it, nobody there. He thought it was strange, but figured, you know, it was his supervisor, who was also a friend of his, mm -hmm. pranking him some way, some, somehow. But, to be on the safe side, he propped the door open with a wedge, same as before. When he turned around to pick up the soap, he saw something in the mirror. It was a reflection of a lady with dark hair. He was startled. He whipped around real quick to see what, what she wanted, but there was nobody there. He felt strange and was hesitant to tell any of his co-workers because he had made so much fun of everyone else's ghost stories. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. No one is sure who haunts this building, but they have learned a little about the spirits tasting music. Mary Jane West said that when she used to work in the main hall, she would bring a Walkman with her. This shows how old these are. Yeah. But she would bring external speakers so she could blast it without her headphones. Normally, she would use headphones, but the building was so creepy that she just wanted to be able to hear her surroundings as well as the music. She would play all kinds of different genres of music from country to experimental rock. She soon learned that if she played The Clash or The Rolling Stones, the Walkman would shut off. It didn't matter if she was sitting right next to it or if she was across the room. It would just shut off. And the funny thing was, it was only with those two groups. And it didn't matter what song it was, if it was either one of those two groups, and it never shut off with anything else. She said the first time that she noticed this, she thought it was something wrong with the cassettes. Yeah, they're just not a fan. But when she played them, these same cassettes at home, she had no issues with mm -hmm. them. Or if she played these same songs with her headphones on, it also would not cut off. Only when she had the experimental speakers on. So she, she said that she guesses that the ghost either didn't care that she listened to it as long as she listened to it with headphones on and listened to it at the house. They just didn't want to hear the stones or the clash. And she didn't subject them to it. They were perfectly fine. <laughs> the ghosts have good taste. <laughs> the ghosts do not have good taste. They probably heard that sound. Ooh, ooh. Ooh, ooh. And drove them insane. So, anyways, that's that story. That's craziness. All right, let's take a quick break from our sponsor. And then uh, we'll be right back to tell you some cool stuff. All right, Tracy. So, obviously, we just mentioned... We are getting ready uh, two weeks away mm -hmm. from less than two weeks now. Like I was going to say, it's not, yeah. From St. Augustine. There is, I think, five or six tickets left. Uh, same thing for the uh, investigation of the lighthouse. I would highly suggest you snag the tickets. This is going to be a very fun event. Yeah, I hope you guys do. We're looking forward to seeing everybody and having a good time. Yes. So definitely want to do that. Go to hibbleyhorrorstories.com. And nobody gets that joke except oh, locals. Damn it. But 
<laughs> go there and you can get you some shirts and stuff if you want. We're going to have shirts. We're going to have books. I know Diane and Kelly are going to have some stuff. It's going to be a blast. And you're going to be on the beach. Oh, my gosh. I am so excited for that. Yes. And I think they still have some uh, a room or two available. So you can give uh, Beecher's Resort a call. And all that information is on our website on the events page. Yeah. Let's all go hang out and have fun. And then next Maybe we'll m- catch a ghost. Next month, we've got the little private dinner in Memphis with Tracy and myself. If you want to hit that up, if you're in the Memphis area. And then uh, off to Dallas. And if you don't Leslie. show up, I guess it'll just be an intimate dinner between me and you. <laughs> well, we got five or six people that I know are coming. So. Oh, good. Good. So anyways, that's what we got going on there. Tracy, what do we got over here with the Patreon and stuff? Well, I would like to thank you guys again for your wonderful reviews. Um, we, of course, have Mojo Lobster, Kay Cummins, Fire1523, Billy Wilkins' Gay Son, Squeaker05, Eddie201987, and Junior from Sacramento, California. Yeah, awesome. I said it. But anyway... <laughs> Um, thank you guys for your awesome reviews. We appreciate you guys so much, and we love to see them. And our Patreons this week is Julia Huser. It might be Hauser. I think it's Hauser. I think it's Hauser. I'm sorry, Julia. Hannah, Teresa Chandra, Jennifer Almond, and Robert Strauch. Thank you guys so much for your support in Patreons. Why are you looking at me like that? I'm not. Oh, <laughs> I thought I said somebody's name wrong. No, I was debating whether to pluck her nose hair out or not. Oh. It's long and it's just there. Oh, and I'm well, like, but God. you know, I get fixated on stuff and oh. we still got other stuff to do. Well, it's like, just get rid of it already. <sighs> but anyway, thank you guys for all your nice reviews and your support. We love you guys so much and just keep it coming. Absolutely. All right. Are we ready to hear Josh Chow? Now, like I said, you listen to this all the way through. I'm telling you, when you get to the story, this is going to be one of the coolest paranormal stories you've ever heard promise you that all right hey guys i've got a a special guest on the on the phone with us here we've actually tried to hook this up a couple times but he's got a super busy schedule so it makes it tough but uh, we were able to actually make it work today i've got josh chow from bad moon paranormal on josh thanks for coming on buddy so Another good reason, and I think when we first started talking, you weren't actually working there, but you're actually one of the tour guides out at Waverly uh, Sanatorium now. Waverly Hills, obviously, is the mecca when it comes to the United States paranormal, I think it's pretty safe to say. You get to come there on a regular basis and call that your workplace. How cool has that been for you? The dream come true. Now, you live live a couple hours away. Is that still the case, or did you actually move closer now? I haven't moved yet but uh, I am planning on it. Um, yeah, that, that would be a pain. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about Bad Noon Paranormal. When did you get it started up? How, uh, how many people are in the group? Uh, what, what do you guys do? We started in 2017, I believe. It was more or less just a group of a uh, family that started going to Bobby Mackey's local cemeteries and doing private investigations. And we kind of grew into a Facebook page. We've actually done more private residential investigations than locations until last year when I met up with other investigators. We started traveling around and making connections that way. We're about 800 people in the group, but there's only really like 20 of us that are active, like investigators that we investigate with, like our four teams. 
now that Waverly is life, I don't really get to go out and do other investigations, really. Yeah, I can imagine. How many nights a week are you out of Waverly? Usually just the two, but I stay for Sunday because I, I can't, with work and stuff, I can't stay there all the time. My buddy Jason's the one that's doing it all the time there. It's It's been very active this year, and it's been a dream come true seeing this every night. Now, Waverly's actually got some uh, some different things going on. Usually around end of September, October, they've got a haunted house, a haunted attraction that they set up through a very uh, small part of the hospital. And this year will be the first year that they've not done that. So now they're going to be open for investigations uh, on Halloween and during close to Halloween, which has never really been the case. I think Ghost, Ghost Hunters did like a live event out there, I want to say 13, 14 years ago, but there really hadn't been much going on other than the haunted house out there. So what kind of buzz are you getting about that? Everybody's, everybody's excited. And I, it hasn't been released yet, but it, it's going to be the end of September, low open for October, the, the date's open. So you can grab a date. And we're, we're kind of nervous because everybody's going to be jumping on, but they're going to go. <laughs> it's good and be ready for some cold nights that's all i can tell you <laughs> always sweating up there so i'll be looking forward to the cold yeah that's the thing that a lot of people don't realize about waverly i mean they've got uh some of the like the office and administration area and stuff is it's got uh, air conditioning and stuff but most of that stuff's just wide open so if it's raining and you get that humidity and everything but i mean it, the wind does affect the investigation sometimes if you're looking for edbs but we do our best. Yeah, the, the weather is going to play a part doing investigations in the wintertime, for sure. Now, let me ask you this, because because uh, I've asked people before just who have visited Waverly, but as a tour guide up there, there's a lot of uh, shadow figures on the fourth floor. They always uh, set something up so you can have somebody walk down the corridor and you can see the shadow figures. Now, I've always, in my mind, asked, why the fourth floor? Why is the fourth floor so active with that? Or is it available on all the floors? And that's just what they choose to show it at. We have shadow figures on every floor, but the four, the fourth floor is where the, um, when it became uh, Woodhaven, that's where all the patients were left to like rot. They would just be forgotten about. We call them the forgotten ones. I mean, there's a story on the floor that we tell, but these people were just left there to die more or less. And they were found by accident. And that's why they got shut down. But the people that were left there to, to die, we, they lost their humanity up there. And it's a very sad story. But that's why we think we have a lot of shadow figures up there. Because they, they never, they died without having their humanity. And they're lost. They're stuck there. They're roaming, looking for their humanity, I think. And Woodhaven was the nursing home that Waverly turned into after they shut down the TB hospital, correct? Okay. And Woodhaven got shut down because of the fourth floor, what was going on the fourth floor. Okay. Well, that makes a lot more sense then. All right. So let's move on to some personal experiences that you have. Uh, tell me, you've, you've got one that I actually got to to see you had posted about it on your uh, the Facebook page, but uh, it's a story about a, a truck driving experience. Tell me a little bit about that one. Well, I'm, I'm a truck driver. I was actually just doing investigations in Somerset, Kentucky. I was on my way home. It was about 4.30 in the morning. It, nobody on 75 North was barren. I came up on some lights on the, on the side of the road. 
realized what it was. I stopped with my flashers on, threw my road sticks out, stopped traffic, at least get them to slow down. The first truck I hit, I, I got to, we pulled his windshield back, got him out of the truck, sat him down on the, uh, I guess that'd be the east side of the highway. The truck was on its top and down a little ditch, not a little ditch. I made my way down. A few of the other people had stopped, so they were taking care of the driver that we pulled him out of the windshield. And I went down to the truck that was on its roof. When I got there, you can get maybe a shoulder and a hand in where I could see his feet. He was trying. I was talking to him. If I get teared up, don't think I'm, I mean, this is, it's a sad story. I don't want to. Yeah. I, I mean, I, trust me, nobody's going to blame you for getting emotional on this one. It's because I know the story. So, so I'm talking to the guy. He, he, I got him calmed down. He wanted to talk to his wife. He was scared. I, I told him that the ambulance wasn't here yet. And I, I was like, there's no way I'd get you out of the truck. I could barely get my arm into you. He asked me to call his wife. I called. There was no answer. It rang. It went to a voicemail. I said, I'm sorry. I'm, I'll keep calling. He talked about his two kids. He even told me about his dog. I, I think his dog's name was Rex. Or it was a three-letter word, three-letter name. And for about a good 15, 20 minutes, I just sat there and talked to him, tried to keep him calm. And uh, I, I never thought anything. That, I never never crossed my mind that it was paranormal or anything like that. But I, my heart went out to him. I'm a truck driver. I, you know, that's a, it's a dangerous profession. And I, I, my heart went out to him. I, I know how scary that can be. When the EMS got there and the firefighters, they had me go back up to the road so they could handle the situation. And uh, I didn't want to just leave because, you know, I've, I had tried to call his wife and I had called two times after that, but no answer. So it was starting to get daylight out. I asked the state trooper if I could leave. And he said, why are you even here? I was like, well, I was the first one on the scene and I got this guy's information and I've been trying to call his wife so she knows what's going on. And I can give you that, that number. He goes, sit here for a second. He went over and talked to another state trooper. And he asked, came back over and asked how I got that guy's number. I said, I've been talking to him. I was down there for a good 20 minutes talking to him. And I, he asked me to call his wife. And uh, that's when they told me that I couldn't talk to the guy because he'd been partially decapitated. And uh, I didn't believe it. And I mean, I, I wasn't going to argue it, of course, but it was just a very traumatizing experience hearing that. And uh, I, I stuck around. Um, his wife ended up calling me back, and that was hard to explain to her what happened. Yeah, I, I hung around. I, I, I wanted to find out for sure without finding out for sure, like get a confirmation from an EMT or something. A, a first responder that was actually down there at the truck instead of just hearing from a state trooper, I guess. That one has always haunted me. How long ago was that? 2018. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't imagine coming across a, a, a scene like that. And like I said, it's it's for him to be partially decapitated, that definitely would have been probably impossible for him to be able to talk to you. But I was scared he wasn't. He, he would he was crying when I first got down there, which grown men cry. 
but he wasn't speaking like any way nor other than normal. Just how I'm talking here. He wasn't. He actually calmed down enough to talk. It was clear as a regular voice. And I, I could see his where his legs were through that split in the where the door had bent, but I, I couldn't reach in and touch him or anything like that. But he wasn't moving, like his legs weren't moving. But he was clear as day. And that's I, that's incredible. I, I don't know if the cop thought I made it up or what, but how did I get his number? You know what I mean? I, I talked to his wife. I had his phone number in my phone. And uh, it was hard to take. And I'm a, skeptic, not- a big skeptic. Like everybody knows me as the one I will argue with evidence thrown in my face. That's one that just it, it hit me hard. When I read that story, when you when you had posted it, that actually I can I can honestly say out of every story I've ever heard, that's probably in my top five of of best stories that I've heard. Uh, that that I think that show, you know, once again, proof is one of those things that to me that shows proof. The fact that you had a number now, somebody will say. Well, I'm sure he was, yeah, he might've been partially decapitated, but he had to have been able to be able to talk at least for a little while, but I don't think that was the case, but somebody who's just, some people you're never going to convince that ghosts exist. You're just not going to be able to. And I had talked twice that following week. She called to say, thank you for trying to get hold of me and talking to him. And I I asked, I I didn't want to be improper, but I kind of hinted at was he talking to me, you know? And, and she said it, it was a closed casket. And I, I didn't ask for details, but I kind of hinted at what happened and how it could have, how it was almost impossible for it to happen. I think if she would answer the phone, he would have been able to talk to her, you know? And I, know. I, I, I don't know. But I, I, I think about this all the time. I'm sure. I mean, that's not, that's not an incident that you can just have happen and then just forget about. It's not good. That'd be with you the rest of your life. So you, you've got another story, not quite as dramatic as that one, (laughs) though most won't be, but uh, tell me your other story. When I graduated high school, a lady friend of mine, her dad worked for the Ohio River Company on the barge lines. Um, He was a dispatcher. He wanted me to have a good job. He'd take care of his daughter in the future. That makes sense. So I was the youngest person to get hired on to a high river company to work up to be a dead man. And it was, I was young and buff and had a six pack. I was on the rig for, you're on for 30 days, you're off for 30 days. So my first winter, we were docked in the Tri Rivers up in Pittsburgh for some mechanic stuff going on. The crew went home, but the youngest and the greenhorn would stay with the boat. The engineer would go home. The crew all went actually to their homes. They went, they weren't on the boat at all. But the engineer usually stays on the boat. He lived in Pittsburgh, so he was going home every night. So I was left on the boat alone. I decided I want to sleep in the captain's room because there was TV in there. They said I didn't care, so I moved my stuff up and I was sleeping there. I taken a shower. It was about ten o'clock at night. Um, it was warm in there. They had nice heaters, and this is, it was January. So I was home in December. So uh, and up there, it's cold as all hell in January. <laughs> so I literally climbed into bed, turned off the overhead light, 
and the bed sank down and my covers pulled down. You know, I, you get that jolt, turn the light on, and I see the indenture in the bed. My covers had pulled down. I'm in my underwear, no socks, no shoes, no shirt, just tidy whities And I, back then, I didn't mind running around like that, but I ran off the boat, up the hill, barefoot, you know, jump the line, jump the chains, up on the dock, out in the parking lot. I don't remember how cold it was, but it was cold. And I, it was such a freaky experience because I knew I was loading on the boat, like 100%. When I couldn't take the, the pain anymore, I went back and went back, got on the boat, and I sat in the kitchen, the galley, and I ate food all night to stay awake. There was no way I was going to go to sleep that night. And the engineer showed up at 7 a.m. the next day, and I told him what happened, and he laughed. And the year before I started at Ohio River Company, the captain died of a heart attack sitting on his bed, on that bed. Imagine. <laughs> WH Dick Corner was the name of the boat. Now, uh, I, I didn't do research and find out anything about the captain that passed away. I just took their word for it. But I became another freak on the boat that believed in ghosts and they all make fun of me all, all the time. Every time I was on the boat, they'd mess with me. <laughs> another happening that happened to me. Have you had, uh, we'll finish on this real quick. Have you had any experiences at Waverly since you've taken over? Yeah. I, I'm not in charge by any means. I just help. I'm another lead investigator. But I guess, well, yeah, what I, what I meant to say since you started there is what I started to say, but yeah. So earlier in the year, had something in the lobby that was affecting everyone and i was really loving doing the ss method with the guests and just sitting down there for hours on on it and not taking a break just sitting in the lobby in april i had an impact tooth i should have went home i was tired whatever this thing is in a lobby affected me took me four hours to get back to cincinnati that morning left at six then get home till noon mm. don't I had a, starting a new job that Monday. Slept from Sunday afternoon to Monday night. I smoked two packs of cigarettes, then get out of my bed, didn't wake up, don't remember smoking at all. Our family, the um, the packs, Beth and all them, they told me I needed to take a salt shower and cleanse myself. Um, I'm not a big believer in, in a lot of that, but something did affect me. I, I lost that job Monday. That was supposed to start my first day of work didn't show up i don't blame them yeah that'll do it <laughs> but um it was very weird down there for a while after that i don't know what that was it, it wasn't it wasn't i wouldn't say evil but it did not like us it didn't like us talking to it and asking questions I, I've, I've had a few uh, other things happen where i questioned if it was just me being tired or if i actually did see something which the, the shadows I, i've seen them but I always second guess it because I wear glasses normally and I second guess everything. I, I go to come up and smack me in the face. I'd be like, nah, I think it was a real person. I'm just, <laughs> unfortunately, Friday night, this past Friday night, I'm dragging my case down the second floor, heading to their main stairwell to go down the lobby. And I see a dress out of the corner of my eye and I look and there's a lady. She's about five, six, white dress. It's not a fancy dress, more like a, a, a collared work dress, maybe. Long sleeves, Greek nose, like a 
quirky smile, like a, I don't know what you would call that. But kind of like, like a smirk. Yeah, there you go. Dark, wavy hair. I couldn't tell if it was black or brown. But the creepy part is she said hello to me. It took me a half hour to get composure to tell people what happened. <laughs> Mind-blowing experience. And this is the same lady that all other guests have been seeing. I never thought it would happen to me because nothing ever paranormal happens to me, really. Like, major. I dismiss so much stuff that, that it has happened. But not one of our guests is wearing a dress. And it was real. I could have reached out and touched her. I could have reached out and kissed her. She was that real. I'm glad it happened to me. But it wasn't like a, a, a mist. It wasn't like a see-through. It was physical, real, uh, real as real can be. But she disappeared within a blink of an eye. And that was very, very special to me. I haven't stopped talking about it since. That's the way you end an interview. <laughs> Josh, thanks for coming on, buddy. Uh, Bad, Bad Moon Paranormal. If you would go check out the group on Facebook. And uh, there's, they got a lot of fun stuff in there. I've stolen a few things from there to throw in our group. So, <laughs> Well, thank you for having me, sir. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. I'll see you next time we're up at Waverly. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. All right, Tracy, how do you explain the situation with the gentleman that they claim his head was, was partially decapitated? There's no possible way he could have been talking to anybody. But yet somehow Josh had his wife's phone number and even called to make contact and talked to the man, knew his wife's name apparently. I mean, how did he get all this information if that guy was dead on impact, basically. I don't know. When I listened to that story, I literally gasped because I was like, oh, my God. It was, I don't know. It was just so mind-blowing. And they were like, how in the world did that happen? But it had to have happened. Something talked to him. How are you going to know all this information? Right. I mean, how are you just going to know that? I don't know how in the world he could even live with that on his mind all the time. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean... Just knowing that that happened to him and the fact that it should never have happened. Is, well, he said he's talked to the man's wife and everything. I know. Like she I just, him back. And yes, that's, I don't know. That story really got to me because it's just like unbelievable. So I guess things happen and I just never know how to explain them. I don't know. I agree. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. We greatly appreciate it. We're looking forward to, uh, Things coming in the future, like I said, keep in mind, in about uh, 10 days, you're going to hear an unbelievable story on, on Dead Time Stories. Yeah. Actually, not on Dead Time, because I'm making it. It's yeah. just going to be its own little special. Yeah. It's, but, um, it's an interesting, like I said, it's interesting, and you it literally makes you think about stuff, but you'll figure it out once you hear the story. Right. So, woo. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much. Bye, guys. Have a blessed week.